This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. Good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network across the state of South Carolina on this big Wednesday night, big for basketball action both here at the ACC Tournament in Greensboro and in Nashville with the SEC Tournament getting underway tonight. South Carolina playing Ole Miss 7 o'clock in Nashville. Matt Smith is there. He'll be joining us in just a moment. I'm here in Greensboro where we've had a couple of games here today. There were three games yesterday. We've had a couple of games here today, and we've had a legendary coach let out to pasture as Jim Beheim no longer is the coach at Syracuse. This word coming out not too long after his team lost today to Wake Forest, 77-74. Beheim was telling reporters afterwards that he was not going to say anything about his future plans. He was leaving it up to the university if they wanted him back to continue as coach for a 48th year. He would do it if they didn't then they would do something else. And about an hour or so later, the university put out a statement thanking Jim Beheim for being their coach and turning the program over to assistant coach Adrian Autry. So 47 seasons at Syracuse where he won a national championship and won a lot of games, was a controversial figure, was somebody who would certainly uh, stand his ground against any of the – Issues that cropped up in uh, college basketball was a guy who uh, apparently uh, led a a clean program and called out others who he felt uh, stepped across the line. And he is now no longer going to be the coach at Syracuse, a place where he played his college basketball. So he has been associated with Syracuse basketball for about 50 years or more. And so a change today here in Greensboro with a head coaching job at Syracuse. Meantime, we get ready for the games here tonight, there are two more games to come. 7 o'clock, it'll be North Carolina and Boston College. And then the game of most interest back in South Carolina will be the NC State-Virginia Tech game. The winner of that game will play Clemson tomorrow night at 9.30 or so. So earlier today, Wake Forest beat Syracuse 77-74. And Pittsburgh had a battle with Georgia Tech. But uh, Pittsburgh ended up winning that game 89-81. to So Pittsburgh, the number five seed, advances in Wake Forest, wins again here, and the the crowd will certainly be bigger here in Greensboro in the backyard of Wake Forest with the Demon Deacons uh, moving on and getting to play another game uh, tomorrow. So we are here in Greensboro. It's uh, fun to be back in Greensboro. Been a lot of years since I've been at the ACC tournament. Used to come to the ACC tournament all the time and then took up the SEC tournament been going to the SEC tournament for the most part for the last 10 or 15 years. But now Matt Smith is the man in Nashville, a great town, a great place to have a tournament if you get a chance to stay there long enough and enjoy it. Seldom has that been the case for South Carolina. Their SEC tournament history is not good. And Smitty is uh, there at the Bridgestone Arena in downtown 
Nashville getting ready to see the Gamecocks take on Ole Miss, a team that they split with in the regular season, each team winning on the other's court. And now we'll see if the Gamecocks are able to uh, continue their trend of playing really good basketball away from Columbia or playing their best basketball. Maybe I shouldn't say really good basketball. Playing their best basketball typically away from Columbia, Smitty. And we'll see if the Gamecocks can put it together again tonight and keep their season alive. Yeah, Corn, uh, you know, it's going to take quite an effort. Look, not, not just to beat Ole Miss, but to, to, to keep the focus for South Carolina. I mean, if you look back through the course of the season, the fact is South Carolina has not won back-to-back games since beating Western Kentucky and Eastern Michigan back in December. So in 2023, the calendar year, South Carolina's been unable to retain the focus necessary to win consecutive games. But this is a matchup. You look at it on paper, Corn. there's no reason to believe that South Carolina shouldn't be able to win. Now in Vegas, they have Ole Miss as six-and-a-half-point favorites. But if you just look at this matchup on paper, Ole Miss is about like South Carolina without – G.G. Jackson. Now, they have Matthew Morrell, who's a good player, but he's certainly no more explosive or better than Michi Johnson or Hayden Graham. And then everybody else for Ole Miss is quite ordinary. So I think there's a lot of reason for South Carolina to believe they can win this first ball game. And then, hey, we'll talk about Tennessee if if we can get there, if, if that happens uh, and, the, and the problem South Carolina's had with Rick Barnes' bunch. But in truth, on paper, I think South Carolina matches up really well with Ole Miss. Yeah, I think so. This is a team that they can play with. I mean, there's a few teams in the league that they just can't play with, but Ole Miss is not one of those. And plus, Ole Miss, is, they've already fired their coach. In fact, there's already reporting going on <laughs> that the former coach at Texas uh, is, the, is the front runner. Uh, now that apparently everything has been cleared, with his legal situation and his fiance and all that's been uh, forgiven and forgotten about, except at Texas where they, they kicked him to the curb before they had a, before they let the process run its due course, which I always question that. Why, you know, why do you fire somebody before you let the, the, the system do its, do its work and find out exactly what the truth is in a situation. But anyway, Chris Beard's being reported as the guy who's going to be the front runner or is the front runner for that job at Ole Miss, and, I mean, that'd be a heck of a hire for Ole Miss based on a basket, from a basketball standpoint. I don't know about all the other stuff, but that would be certainly a home run hire for them from a basketball standpoint if that were to happen. But, I mean, South Carolina can play with Ole Miss. They can't play with Tennessee. I mean, Smitty, I hope you brought, you know, a couple of changes of clothes because you'll need something fresh tomorrow because I think the Gamecocks will find a way to win tonight. I think Jackson will have a big game tonight. I just sense that I just sense when he's away from the, the Colonial Life Arena, he plays more carefree. He plays looser. Um, I'd have to look at the stats, the home and away stats, but I bet you that's reflected in his stats, home and away. Um, and, and I just think you, know, you could probably expect a big game from him tonight, but I, you know, they'll hit a brick wall against Tennessee uh, when they face them, assuming they face them. They'll hit a brick wall against those guys tomorrow night. That's a terrible matchup for them. They just don't have the – the stud athletes to play with Tennessee. No, you're probably right. As long as Tennessee is focused, and then they should be because they've scuffled a bit here down the stretch, and they really need to work hard to improve their seating in the NCAA tournament. And South Carolina, meanwhile, they want to finish on a high note. 
That, that's the question. You mentioned Gigi Jackson playing better away from home, but is he still locked in? Is Gigi Jackson still with this team emotionally, or has he made his decision and, and he's going to leave them hanging? And I'll say this. I think this is an important note. I, I mentioned that these two teams are pretty much even except for Gigi Jackson. South Carolina didn't need Jackson to have a good ball game to knock off the Rebels in Columbia. Uh, or I'm sorry, in Oxford. They they won in Oxford 64-61. Gigi Jackson made two shots from the field. That was the first game that he was benched after his issues uh, post after the Missouri game. And it, it snapped an eight-game losing streak for South Carolina. They didn't even need Gigi Jackson to have a big game. But I, I'm with you, Corn. If he's locked in, if he's focused, if he's with his guys, he should go out there and get between 16 and 22 points tonight because I don't think Ole Miss has anybody that can play with him. Now, one more factor. We should, we should always, You have to always talk about this. Is Gigi going to put his shoulder down and drive the basket? Because he is a much better player when he forces – teams to defend both the drive and that fadeaway jumper. If he comes out and starts missing jump shots and falls in love with the fadeaway, that's always a recipe for disaster. That's when he he can go out there and go like, you know, three for nine and not be a factor. If he puts his shoulder down, there's nobody for Ole Miss that can stay with him laterally. Yeah. Well, and I mentioned South Carolina's putrid history in the SEC tournament. Uh, They've lost seven of their last eight games in the SEC tournament. And, of course, the tournament's moved around. It was in Tampa last year, uh, was at that game. They played miserable in the second half. I think the second half of that game last year, they made like four shots. I remember us talking to Frank Martin afterwards saying, have you ever seen a team shoot so badly in a half as your team did? They lost by uh, 22 points to Mississippi State. Um, One win in in their last eight tournament games, Chris. And as far as Nashville goes, that's been a house of horrors for the Gamecock basketball team in the tournament they haven't won a game in nashville in the tournament since uh back in 2015 good gamecock teams the 2016 team lost in the first round to georgia mm-hmm. in nashville the 2017 team good gamecock team lost to alabama uh in the quarterfinals in nashville so i mean i think they're gonna win tonight just just a hunch uh and and that would you know would break kind of a, a losing skid there in the SEC tournament, but but by and large, the SEC tournament has not been a friendly place for the Gamecock basketball team. It's funny you reference the 2016 team. That was the one that universally I think everybody but the NCAA committee thought was a tournament team, and that's the game that probably kept them out, right? They beat Georgia in the first round of the SEC tournament that year. They're probably going to uh, to the NCAAs, but it's, it's remarkable how bad they have been in the conference postseason, and that's not what you want to do. Now, Lamont Paris was asked about this after the win over Georgia back on Saturday. If he sort of has a formula in his small sample size of his career of how he approaches conference tournament play because you can make the argument that he got the job at South Carolina because of what he did in the tournament last year in the conference tournament with Chattanooga to guide them into the NCAAs. And he said, basically, you want to be playing your best basketball down the stretch at the end of the year. Typical stuff we hear. But I don't think you can argue the, the factor, Phil, that, and Smitty, too, that uh, Carolina has played its best basketball here down the stretch. And two interesting stats that just jumped out of the game notes at me for this. First off, Smitty, you'll know at halftime whether or not you're going to have to stay very long. Hmm. Because the Gamecocks are four and seventeen this year when they trail at halftime, and seven and three when they lead at the break. And here's another interesting one: six of their nine games this year in which they've shot above forty percent in SEC play. Phil, can you do you know what the common denominator in the, those games are? Or common is? denominator would be um, 
common denominator in those games would be, I'm just going to throw something out there, Michi Johnson. Well, that'd be one part, but also on the road. Ah. Okay. <laughs> they are three and four in those road contests. So if they, they shoot it well away from home, they may have to figure out a way to reconfigure the Colonial Life Arena going into next year because at least this year, Lamont Paris's team does not fit into the mold at that building. But, yeah, they've been much better on the road and, and certainly have been a, a good team when they have the lead. If they're in it at halftime, I think they put Ole Miss away. The one thing that I thought was interesting, Smitty hit on the line for tonight about a six-and-a-half-point favor for Ole Miss. If you buy into what ESPN puts together with its FPI for football season and BPI here for basketball season, they've got Ole Miss as an 81% chance to win tonight. I just don't see a hair's difference between the two, considering that the two games were won on the opposing home floor. So you would think they're obviously fairly even because home court advantage didn't give any factor to either team. I don't understand how that how you could look at this game and think that Ole Miss at 11 and 20 is considerably better than South Carolina at 11 and 20. I was going to let uh, Smitty jump in and answer that question, but I'll jump in and you're right. I that's hard to figure uh, when you look at these two teams on paper. I you know, a team going through a coaching change like the yard Ole Miss as well, you just kind of wonder mm-hmm. a little bit about where their heads are at. You know, where where's their focus factor? Because these guys know that um, it's over for them. If they, It'll be over for them tomorrow, just like I'm sure if you're being realistic in your South Carolina, you know it's going to be over for you tomorrow. But at least South Carolina's coach isn't going anywhere. These guys are probably thinking about how quickly can I get into the transfer portal, John, and get out of there. Uh, once the season's over because they've already made a change with the with their head coach there so we'll see we'll see which team brings it who wants it the most tonight who brings it it's kind of like a bowl game you know it's kind of like you hear the lower level bowl games which team wants to be there the most is going to be the Mm -hmm. team that's going to win because they they put out the effort and and they go out and play well and they get it done so uh, we'll see what happens here with South Carolina meantime tell you that uh, Clemson baseball team is playing Presbyterian it was a 3-3 game after three innings. Uh, Clemson scored three in the second to take a 3-1 lead. PC came back with two in the third to tie it up. Tigers scored a single run in the seventh, so they are now leading by a count. Make that a single run in the sixth and a single run in the seventh, and they're now leading 5-3, 5-7-1 for Clemson. Left nine, 3-4-0 for Presbyterian. Blue Hose have left three to this point for Clemson. Home run again. No, not a home run. I'm sorry. Big hit by uh, Canarella, and he's got three runs batted in on the day. So he's having another good day at the plate, batting 434. And he's the only one with multiple hits for the Tigers on the mound. Dill started, went two and two-thirds, three hits, three runs, two earned, struck out five, walked one. Garris, Dvorsky, and Talent have followed him to the mound. So Clemson trying to uh, hold on to this win against PC. And then tonight at uh, about 6.30, about 10 minutes from now, uh, South Carolina will be taking on Upstate. That game to be at Fleur Field, a very friendly place to South Carolina here recently. Gamecocks having won their Saturday against Clemson. So the Gamecocks tonight against Upstate. And, of course, we, we all know you don't sleep on Upstate when it comes to baseball. They're very, very good. Matthew Becker. We'll start for the Gamecocks 1-0, and hefty ERA of 9, but that's with limited work. And Matthew Curtis starting for Upstate 2-0 and with a 1.86. So 
So we'll see what South Carolina and Upstate do tonight. We'll update some other uh, baseball for you as we move on, as well as the other basketball games uh, taking place uh, around uh, the country as we heat up in um, March Madness and all these major tournaments get underway. And, Chris, I know you've been holding the fort back in Sardis, keeping an eye on things for us. Uh, Before we go to the break, anything of significance you need to toss out there? Well, you've already touched on it. The biggest story in sports today has to be the retirement of Jim Beheim, doesn't it? I mean, that's a monumental shift. Do you call it a retirement? Down. I mean, he, he, um, I was not here for his uh, press conference, doggone it. I wish I'd have been in there. These guys were saying it was quite a, a, a dilly of a press conference. He didn't know at the time, at least I say he didn't know. If he knew, he put on an act because, I mean, he told the media – Basically, that if they want me back, I'll you know I'll come back. It's up to them. Mm-hmm. Now I saw you think where they fired him. Well, I mean, I think maybe they pushed him on down the road before he was absolutely one hundred percent ready to go. Uh, it sounds to me like if they if they would have said Jim come back for another year, Jim would have gone back for another year. But apparently, they went ahead and said after forty seven years, and the program has slipped in terms of NCAA appearances and overall records and all that kind of stuff and competing for the ACC championship, um, it's, it's time. And I saw a tweet by one of the writers who said it's, it's kind of funny, kind of ironic, that it ends for Jim Beheim in a building he didn't want to play in, in a tournament he didn't want to play in, in a league he didn't want to be in. Um, because you know, he was not in favor of them coming to the ACC, especially for the reasons of football. Uh, because, you know, the Big East was a monster Oh, yes. In their heyday, the Big East was a monster. And, um, you know, he never wanted to leave the Big East, I'm sure, because it was such a great place for Syracuse. And, and it was a great league. It was a fantastic basketball league. But they broke that up, what it was then, to um, to make the move for football reasons for Syracuse. So, anyway. And with him, and with him excuse me, Phil, and with yeah. him stepping away, the list of active coaches in Division One, the top ten now in terms of victories, is Bob Huggins and Cliff Ellis. There's your top ten. That's your list. How about active that? Active coaches now inside the top ten in Division One victories. How about that? And Cliff is sitting on how many? He is sitting on 906. 906. Total. Total. Yeah, and just over eight, about 820 Division One victories. And Pat, you got seven to add on Beheim. Just to read out the exact quote that he used in his press conference, quote, I've been very lucky to coach this long. I think everyone missed my retirement speech last week. Nobody picked up on it. Now it's up to the university. And he was he was clearly kind of tongue-in-cheek with that whole statement. So just to put a little more context, yeah. he at least said, I don't recall this quote-unquote retirement speech last week, but he does say that he kind of alludes to it being more retirement as opposed to him getting let go, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, you can parse the words however you want it. I think maybe he was he's okay with it, but had they said come back for another year, I think he would have coached another year. That's what they, it sounds like to me. I'd heard that they said, look, Jim, you can come back $4 million a year, but you have to stop running the 2-3 zone, and he wouldn't make the deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the amazing thing. That I will give him all the credit in the world for having his thing, which was the 2-3 zone, and sticking with it, I don't know if he did it for all 47 years or he it's something he picked up on later in his career and then stuck with it. But he he would not ever deviate from that on defense. I think maybe just once or twice I saw his teams break out into a man-to-man for a particular reason. 
But, man, 99.9% of the time he was in that 2-3 zone, and he wasn't going to vary from that whatsoever. All right, let's uh, go to the break, uh, and we will uh, regroup, continue our conversation from here in Greensboro, from in Nashville, uh, Sardis, and Columbia. Uh, you want to join in, 888-898-2525 is the number. South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number since 2002. More than $572 million in lottery proceeds has been used to fund Palmetto Fellow Scholarships for the state's college-bound students. Learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com. South Carolina's largest hunting, fishing, and outdoor expo takes center stage at the Palmetto Sportsman's Classic sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance. Come on down for a good time with over 350 vendors, dog dogs competition, extreme raptor show, kids catfish pond, and much more family fun. Hope to see you at the Classic March the 24th through the 26th at the South Carolina State Fairgrounds. Have you turned on the fun? Try Cash Pop from the South Carolina Education Lottery. Pick one number from 1 to 15, win up to $2,500. Or play all 15 numbers, and you're guaranteed to win. Play twice a day to double your fun. It really is that easy. Visit sceducationlottery.com to get the details. Cash Pop, it's the light of the party. Parents ask, what's the best way to save for college? I'm State Treasurer Curtis Loftus, and my answer is always open a Future Scholar 529 college savings account. It's easy. You can get started online with any amount. It's flexible to adapt to your child's college dreams. And you can deduct 100% of your contributions from the South Carolina state tax return. So what are you waiting for? Go to futurescholar.com and see why it's the smart, easy way to save for college. Futurescholar.com. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Hey, never too soon to start making those plans for summer vacation. If the beach is what you have in mind, give Jimmy Smith a call at James Smith Realty down at Pauly's Island and uh, let him make those plans for you. He can put you right where you want to be in terms of a house or a condo in the right location on the beach, maybe a little more inland, maybe something on the waterway or on the inlet, whatever you are looking for. Uh, Jimmy and his staff can put you right where you want to be and where you need to be. That phone number is 843-237-4246. 843-237-4246. vacationrentals.com. Just a phone call away or a click away from your perfect beach getaway. All right, phone number 888-898-2525. If you want to join us tonight, coming up, we're going to hear from uh, Clemson defensive coordinator uh, Wes Goodwin, who was uh, 
who was interviewed for uh, uh, interviewed after practice um, yesterday, Clemson spring practice, uh, practice number two. They had practice number three today, so we'll hear from the Tigers defensive coordinator. Uh, Furman coach Bob Ritchie, who can relax this week a little bit. He's got his ticket to the NCAA tournament already punched after that exciting victory in the Southern Conference Championship game the other night. Furman is headed to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1980, and we'll hear from him. And, of course, last night, guys, the College of Charleston, Chris, College of Charleston got it done, had a little bit of a battle with Wilmington, but they, you know, when Hofstra lost, that uh, opened up the, the door even wider for the Cougars to get it done. They got it done last night. And doing so, ironically enough, with a, a transfer from Furman, Ryan Larson, who's a grad transfer into the program. So uh, it's kind of neat, the, the symmetry between Furman and, and the college. Both of those teams now headed to the NCAAs. Okay, going to hit the break. We'll continue just a moment here on Sports Talk. Back on Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network tonight from all kinds of different places. We're here in Greensboro for the ACC Tournament. It's day two of the ACC Tournament. Two games are in the books. Of course, they played three yesterday, two today. And uh, Matt Smith, a.k.a. Smithy, he is in Nashville, South Carolina. Ole Miss going to tip off in about a half hour. And South Carolina trying to extend its season, as is Ole Miss. Both teams not going anywhere after the SEC tournament play for them is over. And Plus we have Chris it. Bergen. Like I said, they're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, the thing about our show is we, we try to keep it real, all right? We're not going to build up false hopes. There I'm are just times, pointing out there is a no, possibility it could happen. There are times when you can build up false hopes in some events. This sure. is not one of them, okay? Like Clemson. We could legitimately say, as we sit here, Clemson could – win the championship here Saturday night. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they could. They could beat anybody, but South Carolina or Ole Miss is not beating Tennessee. <laughs> and should they Fair somehow, enough. through the grace of God, uh, and maybe an illness running through the Tennessee locker room where, you know, uh, seven players are out and, you know, they're down to six and two are managers, somehow they manage to beat Tennessee – uh, they're not getting past whoever is ahead of them <laughs> the next round. I mean, I just uh, you can take that to the bank. By the way, uh, I guess you, you do want to correct the thing about the transfer. I do, I do. Yeah. Yes, I apologize for Sorry. that. Uh, first of first of many mistakes, and you would think I would not make this mistake because I saw both Wofford and the college in person, but yeah. I had Ryan Larson playing too far west. He yep. actually transferred into the college from Wofford, where he was an outstanding – either way, he's an outstanding player and a great uh, grad transfer for them. I'm just glad I didn't ask Coach Ritchie about uh, losing Ryan Larson to the college. That would have been an interesting <laughs> response, wouldn't it? Would have been. He's, way, be he's way too smart for that, though. So. Yeah, he would have been nice to you. Well, it was just like um, the other night when I was interviewing uh, – you weren't with us because you were on your extended vacation, but we were interviewing uh, Coach Backage leading up to the series with South Carolina, and I was trying to be smarter than I actually am and just misread something, but I said, I mentioned to him what a really fine freshman catcher Canarella is because I thought I saw C by his name on the um, roster. Yeah. I missed the F, the CF part, center fielder. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and he very nicely said, well, yeah, he's a really fine center fielder, not a catcher. <laughs> we haven't tried him a catcher yet, though. That uh, might be an idea. Then I had to the apologize to Cooper Engel for forgetting that he is the, the Clemson catcher. <laughs> by the way, by the way, and I put this out on Twitter. I don't know if anybody has responded to it. And our phone number, 888-898-2525, by the way. So last night, South Carolina beat the Citadel. And in the game... Jonathan French hit a home run for the Gamecocks, his first for the Gamecocks. Now, he also hit 13 home runs for Clemson in his career. So I put on Twitter that fact and said, you know, are you aware, is anybody aware of anybody who's ever hit a home run for Clemson and South Carolina? Because I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Is Jonathan French the one and only to play for both programs, to hit a home run for both programs? That's a really great question. I actually saw that too today, and I'm not sure we've been able to ascertain uh, whether or not that anybody else has done that. And keep in mind, Phil, this is sort of new to begin with, the fact that you've got players transferring in. Did we lose Chris? Did he turn himself off? Chris, you just dropped if you are – I see you nodding your head. Are you back? Yes, I'm back. I'm sorry. The internet reset here. Okay. So apologize. I'm off Go to ahead. a terrific start tonight, huh? No, but my <laughs> point was, I mean, yeah, you know, remember the uh, when, when uh, Tavian Feaster transferred, how big a deal that was mm-hmm. that he was going to transfer from Clemson to South Carolina because we hadn't seen that happen all that often. I'd be curious how many players from either school have gone over to the other side, period, much less Homer for both teams. Well, now I'm looking at we got two responses to my tweet. The tweet's been viewed 3,400 times, whatever that means go. in Twitter <laughs> analytics, okay? I don't know if that's impressive or not, but that's what it says, 34. And we've gotten two responses. Butch says Hank Parks out of Easley with a question mark. I don't think Hank Parks played at Clemson. I know he played at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then another one says Wingo. Well, now, that'd be a father-son because Scott Wingo didn't play at Clemson, but Billy Wingo did play at Clemson, but didn't play at South Carolina. Scott Wingo played at South Carolina, but didn't play at Clemson. Um, the only so, ones I'm, av- I'm aware of, but I'm not sure if they would have homered for both teams, would have been Riley Polk back in 1983 and 84, was at Clemson, then transferred to USC for 85 and 86, and then Billy Chastain also played at both Clemson in 1988 and USC in 1989. Those are the only other two baseball players I can find that huh. played for both, but I'm struggling to find stats to see whether they both hit home runs or not. Billy Chastain, I did not recall him playing at South Carolina. Wow. That's a name from that's the past. Yeah. Hmm, Good didn't job, realize Pat. that. Riley Polk, now that's possible. If you can look that up, Pat, um, I hadn't thought about Riley Polk, uh, but that, that would be possible. He could hit, the, he could hit a home run. Um, I think he played second base, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so we'll try and solve that uh, crisis, that world crisis here as as we move on through the show. (laughs) Let's see. um, Let's go back to Smitty in Nashville. Uh, The teams uh, have been on the floor warming up. Smitty, I've been to many play-in games uh, or first-round games involving South Carolina playing the first game in Nashville in the tournament over the years. Uh, And, I mean, the crowd would be, uh, if you said sparse, you would be exaggerating the number of people in the stands. Um, What's it looking like leading up to this tip between the Gamecocks and the Rebels? 
you know, there's an old joke about this being the Kentucky Invitational, the SEC basketball tournament. I'll tell you what, Corn, there is a lot of that creamy orange in the stands already. Uh, Tennessee is showing out, and they'll, you know, this is one of those seasons under Coach Barnes. Now they've been they've cooled off recently, but I I would guess uh, with it here in Nashville, short drive from Rocky Top, you're going to see a lot of Tennessee Volunteer fans, and I'm seeing them already. I mean, I'm seeing some Kentucky blue, but they just stay here. You know, they just they've been here since Monday. Hmm. But uh, I'm seeing a lot of Tennessee fans in the stands. I'm looking for the Gamecock contingent. I don't really see a lot. I'm seeing some red, which I think is Ole Miss red, and then I'm seeing some of that powder blue, which Ole Miss is sporting tonight in their road uniforms. I'm not seeing a ton of, of garnet and black uh, in the stands tonight. I, the, band, the, uh, the cheerleaders are here and the band is here, but I don't see a, a, a large contingent for the Gamecocks. Yeah, they have to be there. It's part of the deal of being in the SEC. Uh, yeah, South Carolina should win this game. Uh, Ole Miss has won – Going into this game, they have won just one of their last seven. They come in on a two-game losing streak. They lost to Texas A&M by eight. They lost uh, to Missouri on the road by five. So um, I think South Carolina has uh, the upper hand going into this one. I like the personnel matchups in this one for South Carolina as well. And they just have to uh, play with some confidence. Uh play like they've normally played on the road, which is uh, shoot the three with confidence. Uh, I think that if they can have a good game from Jackson, if he if he doesn't have one of those games where he disappears, which he tends to do at times, if he can have a good game, if Michi Johnson just shoots 40% of, from three, just makes four out of ten, let's say, uh, and if they hit the boards, if um, they get a good game on the board, from Gray, who's been really impressive as a rebounder for them. I think those would be the elements that they need to come together because I expect Hayden Brown, Chris, to do his dirty work and get his 12 to 15 points and 6 to 7 rebounds. That's pretty much a given effort from him every night. If those other pieces come into play, I think they'll be okay tonight. I'm glad you brought Hayden Brown up because I think he's the linchpin to them winning tonight, and he's got to stay on the floor, Phil. South Carolina has had 11 games in which there are 11 players, if you will, that have been disqualified from games. Hayden Brown has fouled out of seven of those 11. Mm-hmm. They've got to have him on the court. He brings too much leadership. Lamont Paris has talked about that all season, what he brings. He does the stuff nobody else on that team wants. He dives after loose balls. He'll get in there and battle. He may not be the most skilled player on that team when you've got a guy like Gigi Jackson, but nobody's got a bigger heart on that team than he does, and he just has to play. If, if he's able to play 30 minutes or so tonight and not get into foul trouble, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, Corn, I want to make this point quickly, but go back to something you mentioned when Chris asked about what's the common denominator to South Carolina winning conference games. And you mentioned Michi Johnson. They're 4-0 when Michi Johnson scores 20 points or more. And if you go back to when South Carolina lost at home to Ole Miss earlier this season, that was prior to Josh Gray coming to his own and starting to get the minutes that he got. That was prior to the Carter injury, which ushered in the Jacoby Wright era. And he's, he's got, he had 17 points his last time out against Ole Miss. 18 points against LSU, 18 points against Alabama. That was not, he was not the same Jacoby Wright early on in the season before he, you know, really found himself. 
and uh, and and Michi Johnson didn't even have a big game against Ole Miss last time. So I I don't know. I hate to keep like making the case that South Carolina is going to win this game. I want to look at it from a from a uh, perspective of, of how it is that Vegas has Ole Miss favored by six and a half points. But frankly, I think these two teams have actually diverged since Ole Miss beat South Carolina and Columbia. I think South Carolina has actually gotten better through the course of the season, and Ole Miss is, is flatlined. Yeah. Well, worries me that Vegas thinks Ole Miss is six and a half points better. They're not usually too I far off. It. It's amazing yeah. to me how accurate they are, right, Chris? Uh, if they say yeah, six and a half points, you've got to kind of take it to the bank, uh, so to speak. Now, if you want to be funny about the scenario, and when you get bad basketball teams at this time of year, guys start thinking about other things to do. It's currently spring break at USC. Ole Miss has spring break next week. How much do those guys want to get back home so they can start enjoying a few days off from class and everything else moving forward? So that may play into it. If, if we're going to parse everything to figure out how good these two teams are against one another, let's yeah. throw in all the factors. Spring you know, it, break it, is a it, is a distraction too. Yeah, I mean it goes back to what I said earlier. Um, who wants it? Who who's going to mm-hmm. be focused? Yep. Who wants to be there? And I think South Carolina, because of the situation at Ole Miss, and again I, we're an outsider talking about it, but um, with their coach already being fired, knowing there's a new coach coming in, uh, what are they playing for besides just the love of the game or their teammates or whatever? What are they playing for? South Carolina, I mean they don't have much to play for other than. Uh, they, they want to continue to show improvement and growth under uh, Lamont Paris, knowing he's going to be the coach there for the future and give good effort, uh, play good hard basketball, smart basketball, win another game. I mean, look, with this group and with this team uh, to win 12 games, to win a dozen games in a season, Dan Radakovich in the house. Where's the tan? I don't see it. You can't get it. <laughs> it's good to see you. I'd have you on if you'd sit with me. You got time? Yeah. I tell you what, Dan Radakovich just dropped by. Let me uh, grab a headset, and uh, let's hit the break here real quick, and we'll pop him on for a, a couple of minutes, okay? Go to the break, Pat, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Billy Downer from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Are you looking for a safe place to shoot your rifle or handgun? Did you know that the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources operates four manned ranges across the state in Pickens County, Spartanburg County, Richland County, and Charleston County? For more information on our public ranges, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash shooting. George Bryant here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training. And Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging, but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait, order today. 
Hi, this is Major Billy Downer, and coming up tonight at 7.30, it's another edition of SC Wild from the Department of Natural Resources on the Sports Talk Media Network. Score a touchdown with Founders Federal Credit Union. With services like Founders Online and the Founders app, you'll enjoy all the perks of a big bank with local personalized service. Not a member? Joining Founders Federal Credit Union is easy. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Relax with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back, everybody, here on Sports Talk across the state, Sports Talk Media Network. So Dan Radakovich was walking by, and I said, come on, jump on with us. And he was kind enough to do so, former Clemson AD, now the AD at Miami. And uh, that's why I was saying you don't look all tanned and everything like well, you should coming out of Miami. Well, like I said, you can't get uh, suntan under fluorescent lights. You know, we have a lot of work to do. So, uh, <laughs> But it's, it's a lot of fun being there. It's a great town. Yeah. You know, Miami's a – Big, big city, but Coral Gables, where the university is, nice, nice small little town. Uh, people are really invested in the university, so it's kind of they look at it as their university, and that's the way it is around the whole city. So this is our first chance to talk to you since you left Clemson. Do you see some similarities between the two, Miami and Clemson? Uh, well, athletic program wise, certainly not. Certainly not from the city's <laughs> right. perspective. That, yeah. That's yeah. a little different. Yeah, but no, I think that you know. Both athletic programs, um, you know, really cater to the student athlete, and that's that's really high on their list. You know, they want to make sure that what, however, the student athlete is treated, you know, that's the that's the most important thing. Graduation, the most important thing. Now you get into the competition piece. We have a really great baseball history, you know, at the university. Basketball started back in the '80s, um, and you know, over the last few years, Jim's done a phenomenal job, and. You know, Mario Cristobal coming in is looking to rejuvenate the, the football uh, you know, tradition that was just storied for so many years. Yeah. Uh, but what's so neat about that place is there's so many of the alums that live within a 15 to 20 mile radius of the campus. You know, they come back and, and they're always around for practices. You get a chance to have an opportunity to see them. And it's just, uh, it's really, really good. And they're, they, they really, since it's a private school and a small private school, um, there's a kinship there that's, that's different at large publics. So what's on the drawing board there for football in terms of a facility? Are you guys going to be building a new stadium closer to the campus? No, it won't be a stadium. One of the things we're looking to do is, is build a football operations center. Okay. There, there's an opportunity to put all the football pieces together under one roof, and it'll be adjacent to the current practice fields. Uh, we're in the fundraising stage right now. We're in the, in the phase right where the architects and contractors are putting all the drawings together and getting the approvals uh, from within the city of Coral Gables because you know the university's in Coral Gables, so you have to get their approvals to be able to build things. Yeah. So we're down the road on that. Hopefully Hopefully we can break ground on that at the end of the summer, early fall, which will be uh, just phenomenal. It'll be about an 18-month build. So Hard Rock will stay your stadium. Hard Rock will stay our stadium mm-hmm. because we have.
have a lease with them for another 11 years, uh, and it's a phenomenal place to play. Uh, it, it, you know, our fans, you know, it takes a little while to get there, but once you mm-hmm. get there, yeah. it's a really great place to watch a football game. Yeah, I was there for the Orange Bowl, so it's, and I've been there before, so it's, it's, you're right, it's a beautiful stadium. So, um, what did you think of what came out of, uh, or what's been reported, or what's come out from Clemson and Florida State about the sharing of the, the money within the league? Are you guys going to have a is there a meeting coming up with the ads is this something you guys have to discuss well it's something that we've been discussing yeah. for a while and you know there there are teams that that have have larger brands you know certainly well, you clemson. were part of building that brand at clemson well clemson has it florida state has it you know when when the university of miami is successful in football they have it yeah um and there are others as well so i think that you know one of the things that we've tried to talk through is you know there when you're in a league you've got to have so much of the revenue that is centered you know and shared by everyone but there needs to be a piece there needs to be a piece that's based on performance and you know some will think some say that that piece should be done based on tv eyeballs Mm -hmm. Uh, one's a little easier to quantify than the other Okay, so how do we start moving that 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 forward? So we continue to have conversations about that. It's in, it's important that for the for the league moving forward that we do those kind of things, uh, whether it be a big separation, you know, because of that or or not. We've got to work through that. New college football playoff money's coming in. Will have a, an impact on the on the dollar amounts that we'll be able to do, look at and distribute in those in those ways. So. Um, it'll be an interesting next few meetings for sure uh, as we prepare that from the athletic director's perspective to then be able to give that to the president. But do you worry about this being such a sticking point with some that it could lead to a breakup of the league in some fashion? Could you see a Duke or a, a Wake Forest those where, the, where the football is not as big and, like you say, the eyeballs and the income not as big from football – agreeing to something like that? Well, I think that you, you just have to look at it and say, you know, we have our grant of rights together as a league for the next 13 years, you know, and uh, if you, along the way, if you don't make some type of adjustment for those who are making great investments in, in the sport that, you know, creates the greatest value, at the first opportunity, boom, people leave. Mm-hmm. And we don't want that yeah. because it's only 13 years away. You, you want the league to stay together. You want the league to be, to be vibrant. So uh, if we have to do some things along the way to, to help with the separation, it, it's a great conversation to have. You look back at your Clemson days. You keep an eye on what Clemson is doing. If so, what do you think about what's been going on there since you departed? Oh, well, Graham Neff is phenomenal. You know, Graham and I, you know, Graham came to work you know, shortly after I started, and uh, it wasn't too long to know that he was going to have the right stuff to, to be a great athletic director, and I think he is, he's on his way to doing that. He's already done a number of things you know, in a very, very positive way. Clemson's important for the ACC, uh, and it's just one of those programs that um, for our league to be good, Clemson needs to be good. And, mm-hmm. and Coach Sweeney and, and Coach Brownell here, I mean, that's just phenomenal what, what they've been able to do this year. And, you know, the whole university, President Clements, the board, everybody involved there um, really has that alignment to say, you know what, athletics is important. And I was very, very fortunate to be a part of that for for nine years. And, you know, I look look at that and say, hey, we did a few good things mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. Um, but really proud of Graham and, and really proud of the staff that he has there to be able to continue to move it forward. Thank you so much for stopping. I know you were heading into the arena. Yeah. 
Appreciate that. We've known each other a long time, so I appreciate you uh, giving me a couple of minutes. Absolutely. Phil, great to Pleasure see you. Pleasure seeing you. Yes, All sir. Right. Good luck. Uh, Dan Radakovich, former Clemson AD, now at Miami, here to root on his uh, team that won the ACC championship this year. Jim Laranega did a fantastic job with that group, had uh, the player of the year on the team as well. So they got a lot to feel good about basketball-wise. And, um, of course, Miami, you know, Miami, he makes a good point, uh, guys. Uh, ACC needs Clemson, needs Florida State, needs Miami to be good in football. If all three of those guys, Chris, are title contenders or national powers at the same time, it would make – ACC football, you know, right up there in the same breath with the SEC. That was a terrific get, by the way. And and Dan Radakovich, I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for him. I think he's a really smart guy, first off, and you have to be to be in that position. But I think he's good for college athletics. Haiti's now helping out uh, away from our state, but certainly wish him all the best in Miami. I'm I'm glad also that you asked him about the uh, situation with the, the news in particular, the Florida State AD commenting on that they can't compete anymore because of the, uh, I guess, the television structure that the ACC currently has. And it seems like, at least listening to Dan, they feel still comfortable at, at present. Now, something could change tomorrow, but they still feel somewhat comfortable at present with regards to the grant rights aid that the, all those schools have. But can that can, uh, is that sustainable, Phil, for the next 5, 10, 15 years on down the road? Well, he said they got 13 more years to go. Yeah. So <laughs> that seems like a long time, but I tell mm-hmm. you, it, it, it slips by in a hurry. Um, let's get a final word from Smitty in Nashville before they tip it off. Final thoughts, Smitty. Of course, we'll check in with you the next half hour leading up to SC Wild. But your final thoughts going into tip. Well, both teams look hyped. Uh, of course, that could just be Kenny Loggins, blare, Kenny Loggins blaring through the loudspeakers. But both teams look excited and happy to be here. And it remains to be seen. I'll, I'll report back if South Carolina looks focused. If they do, I think they've got a great opportunity to stay in Nashville for at least another day. Yeah. I hope it works out for you because nothing worse than a one-day trip to Nashville. Believe me, I've made it uh, many times. That's a long ride. Uh, for just an overnight stay, so I, I'm not I'm not looking forward to passing 24 Cracker Barrels on the drive back. <laughs> <laughs> and, and can we can we get something done about that construction around Asheville, Brian Hall? Can you do so? The mayor of Asheville, Brian Hall, no, the man who runs our station in Greenville and also up in Asheville, he's standing by. Can we get something done about that traffic around Asheville? We'll hit the break and we'll be back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network here on a Wednesday night. Phil Kornbluth here at the ACC Tournament. We have Matt Smith at the SEC Tournament. Nashville, Chris Bergen is back in Sardis at the Berge Palace. And Pat Daniels at our studios in Columbia. Uh, Clemson has beaten Presbyterian. Final score there, 5-3. to three. Tigers win uh, two in a row after losing the weekend series to the Gamecocks. They bounced back a little bit. 5-3 the final, 5-7-1, nine left for Clemson, 3-7-0, six left for the 
Blue Hose, and offensively for Clemson, the big day. Canarella had a couple of hits, three RBIs, including a double. He also drew a walk, so he was on base uh, quite a bit. Engel, Taylor, Grice, Amick, Bertram, the others who had uh, hits for Clemson. Let me redo that. Uh, it was uh, Canarella, Engel, Taylor, Grice, Amick, and Bertram. I had it right the first time. Uh, seven hits for the Tigers. On the mound, Dill, two and two-thirds, three hits, three runs, two earned, five strikeouts, a walk. Garris, two and a third, a hit, five strikeouts. Dvorsky, two innings, no hits, a walk, three strikeouts. And Talent, two innings, three hits, and two strikeouts. The Tigers struck out 15, so a good day on the mound. Struck out 15. They walked two. They uh, did not hit a batter. So um, Clemson uh, picks up the win, and let's see, the winning pitcher today, let's see if they've got this listed, um, let's see if they have this on here, the, uh, the winning pitcher. Uh, Chris, did you pick up who the winning pitcher was for Clemson today? Oh, I did not, Phil. I w- as soon as I get a second, I will look that up and let you know who got the uh, win for them. Okay. That'd be nice that you would yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, computer a, is sitting here spinning. As a matter of fact, I need you to uh, speak for a couple of moments while I look up a number for Pat. Well, and while we're on the subject of yes. uh, college baseball, South Carolina early in the top of the second, already out to a 5 nothing lead on Upstate. Another home run by Cassis. Three-run mm. shot has put the Gamecocks up. Uh, five to nothing so far. Five three and zero oh for South Carolina. Zero one and zero for Upstate. This is probably not the gorilla ball era of LSU fame from many many years ago, Phil. But good grief, Gamecocks are getting about as close as you could possibly. What did you say? Florida surpassed them last night. They're up by two in the home run category. USC looks like they want to try and tie that uh, for the national lead. Just a remarkable display of power here through the first twelve or thirteen games. You don't anticipate it would continue in the SEC play, but if it does. These guys are going to be a tough out in the conference because they can certainly swing the bats for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, they look like a really good baseball team, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. They look like a really good baseball team. I always start with the pitching. How good is the pitching? How deep is the pitching? And you know, going into the season, we talked about what this team could do. I felt like if the pitching stayed healthy, they could make some noise. And we saw over the weekend, and even, you know, Will Sanders has not been anywhere near his best. Wait till he gets his stuff together then you start winning Friday night games in series, and then you got a chance on Saturday to clinch that series. And what will they do on Saturdays? I bet you if they stay like they are right now, you know, they'll start Noah Hall, but mm-hmm. then they'll have, um, they'll have James uh, Hicks ready to come in as well as he pitched against Clemson on Sunday. I can imagine him kind of being that second guy going in on Saturday to help you clinch a series. Uh, and then you'll have um, Mahoney ready to go on Sunday. Uh, and and, they, and the, the bullpen, you know, Becker has looked good. Um, uh, Kate Austin has looked good. So, I mean, they, they look like they've got what it takes to be strong in the pitching. And now the hitting, I think, has just been a tremendous bonus for them to this part in the season. Because you never really know what you're going to get from hitters year to year. Um, Last year, they hit a lot of home runs, okay? But this year, they're hitting for average, too. I mean, the team batting average has been like 311. So they're hitting for a good average, uh, and they're hitting for power. Um, 
is this Monty Lee? Is this the work that Monty Lee has put in with these hitters since he got there? Are we seeing the end result of that? Well, we've long felt like he was a really good baseball coach, and I thought he was at Clemson, just didn't work out for him there. And obviously the proof is in the pudding thus far because uh, Carolina's just tacked on two more. Mm. It's now 7 to nothing in the top of the second. They, they clearly like hitting the ball at Floor Field. Not sure what it is at that ballpark, but they must love the, uh, the green monster. Question is, did this one, if it continues to look like this, did Upstate agree to a 10-run mercy rule at home? Might be a little embarrassing for them. I, I, I would wonder if – are those just SEC home games where the mercy rule is in effect? Yeah, um, that is something. If I remember what they said in the preseason, if both sides agreed to it, you know, in a non-conference setting, if mm-hmm. both sides agreed to it, then you could do it, you know. And who knows, unless they tell the PA guy before the game that, hey, we've agreed to this, and they announce it, who knows that they've agreed to anything like that. <laughs> True. You know? But 7 to nothing in the top of the second – for South Carolina against Upstate, and this was a this is a you know Upstate's a really good baseball team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They've given fits to Clemson and here in recent years, and and South Carolina as well. Seven five and zero for the Gamecocks, zero one and zero for Upstate uh, at this point. So uh, Clemson's won five to three. South Carolina's up big on Upstate here early on, seven to nothing. Update some other baseball. I'm glad uh, I didn't see this when Dan Rad was sitting with us. Uh, Jacksonville beat his Miami Hurricanes today 6-3, to <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't have to pass that score on while he was sitting here. Boston College uh, is leading Asheville 11-6. to They're on the top of the uh, 10th. Kentucky beat Ohio 9-2. to Georgia 7-0 over Georgia Southern. That's in the 4th. Florida 4-0 over FAU, top of the 5th. Vandy and Evansville 1-1, bottom of the 6th. And Lamar and LSU going to play in a little bit, uh, 7.30. And uh, South Carolina, Ole Miss underway in their game. It's 6-4, Ole Miss early on against the Gamecocks. They've played a little over five minutes, and Ole Miss has the early 6-4 lead. Uh, Gamecocks are off to a 2-for-5 shooting start. Ole Miss 3-of-9. Uh, USC's uh, winning on the boards 5-4. Uh, to four. Uh, Now the Gamecocks have just tied it at 6 and Wright and Brown and Jackson have all scored for the Gamecocks thus far. So uh, they have turned it over. Yeah, that's the bigger problem six thus far. times already, Chris. Yeah. Of course, Ole Miss has turned it over four <laughs> times. So the two teams in six minutes have turned it over uh, combined ten times. Do you think it's a little bit of nerves being in the tournament? I, I don't know, or is it just two not really good basketball teams going toe-to-toe? But, yeah, that, that is not sustainable for the Gamecocks nor for Ole Miss. I mean, USC's on pace what we've played seven minutes. You get 40 in a basketball game. They're on pace for over 20 turnovers, and that just uh, that's not a recipe for, for them to win t- tonight. That was one thing we didn't factor in. If they turned it over way too many times, how would they uh, handle things? That is not a recipe for them to be successful if they continue at that pace. I agree. I agree. All right, while we have a couple of minutes here, let's jump into the recruiting report tonight brought to you by Seawells. Uh, we are attempting to uh, land Coach Bob Ritchie from Furman. We've not connected with him yet, but they're working on it, and we're working on it. If we get him, we'll jump to him. In the meantime, we'll jump into recruiting, which is brought to you by Seawells. Reminder that the daily luncheon buffet at Seawells is only $13, and you will not be disappointed. One of the greatest buffets in the history of of buffets even greater than jimmy buffet himself (laughs) and it's 11 till 2 
nobody around here thinks that's very funny. It's 11 till 2, Monday through Friday. We'll continue in just a moment because we now have Furman basketball coach Bob Ritchie with us. We appreciate him taking time out after winning the Southern Conference Championship over the weekend and now looking ahead to the NCAA tournament for the Paladins for the first time since 1980. Coach, congratulations. Great to have you back with us. How have you been since you cut down the nets? Well, I'll tell you, Phil, it's, uh, I'm still a little bit on cloud nine over here. But, uh, you know, you, you hear about it your whole life. And obviously here, you know, being 43 years since Furman's been to the dance, um, you know, it's just a kind of a surreal moment. You know, we, we had probably, I would say we had about 75, 80% of the fan base in that arena on Monday night. And, um, you know, the place was electric. Our team got the job done and we're able to cut down the nets. And, um, you know, just, just, it, it's just an incredible night. Incredible to see the team's response on what happened a year ago, losing that game at the buzzer and, and really just to see them turn that pain into purpose and, um, come together even stronger, you know, ended up being school record wins, 27. Actually, the 26th win in the semifinals was a school record, and um, and now we get to go to the tournament. So couldn't be more proud of our group. Absolutely. Any additional satisfaction since it came against the team that denied you last year? I mean, I know it didn't matter. You'd be happy beating anybody for the championship, but maybe just a, a little extra satisfaction since it was UTC you were facing. You know, it was funny. We actually talked about that before the game. Um, I, I was trying to really eliminate as much noise from the game as possible. And, you know, I just told the team, I said, you know, it's, it's really not about Chattanooga. It's, it, this is about Furman. And this is about our response to what happened. And, you know, there, there weren't a ton of players that were still on that team from last year. It's a new coach. It's a new system. And I told him, I said, look, you're, you're not playing this game to redeem last year. You've already redeemed last year. You've already come out and look with, you know, won the league in the regular season, first one seed since 1991. You win a school record of games. Like, just this is this is about playing for tomorrow. You know, this is about continuing to push a program to an elite level and, and to build something special here and um, to continue our progression. And, um, you know, I thought our guys did a good job about that. You know, just, just focus on us. And, um, you know, it was a great game. You know, we got off to a big lead. And as we knew, Chattanooga made a run and tightened it back up. And then, you know, we were able to push it back double digits there in the last 10 minutes of the game. But, um, you know, just couldn't couldn't be more proud of our group. I was going to say, as a coach, I mean, you want to win however you can win. But I got to believe it felt really satisfying for you, the way your guys withstood that late rush. And then you answered with your own, say, message there down the stretch. You hit some shots. You didn't back – I'm not saying you ever back your way into a win, but you know what I'm saying. You – did your thing, and you rebuilt the lead, and you were pulling away there as as time ran out. So that had to be a little more satisfying to you, I would think, the way your guys finished that game. There's no doubt, because I think, you know, it's funny. I watched, I watched it this morning, and um, it's so funny as a coach, the different emotions, coaching a game live, and then the emotions that you relive when you even know the result. Like, they're, they're different. And I was watching the game, and you know, with about five minutes to go in the game, they, they decide to replay the shot from last year. And, and I was like, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, why are they playing this? Like, I can see it doing it in front of the broadcast, but why are they doing this right now? Huh. And so I'm sitting there watching, and I was like, I was like, man, this is, this is a point where we could have tightened up. 
You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. you're watching it and you're like, okay, they went to zone and man, we could have gotten real tight, but instead we made some critical plays uh, to really push it. Like to, I, I guess when Marcus hit that three in the corner, we went up 12 and it was like, okay, ball game. And, um, you know, so yeah, of course, you know, you, you, you start, if they start feeling that pressure, if they start thinking about redeeming last year, if they start thinking about 43 years, you know, all of a sudden we, we start missing some shots and we don't make the plays. And the next thing you know, you got a ball game. Uh, but instead, I thought they played with tremendous belief and they went out there and made some critical plays down the stretch. Furman head men's basketball coach Bob Ritchie with us here tonight on Sports Talk. His team on the way to the NCAA tournament, the program's first since 1980. And, Coach, you being a, a PD native, Everybody, I'm over here in the Florence area. I know everybody over here is awfully proud of the uh, job you've done at Furman. But high-level basketball game, it was so much fun to watch against Chattanooga, especially in the second half. Both teams shooting over 50% from the field. What does that say about your team's resiliency offensively to be able to match them almost shot for shot in the second half? Well, it's, it's you know, we were the number one offense in the league all year. And really, I mean, one of the lead offenses in the country. I think we averaged mm-hmm. about 83 points a game. And, you know, but what the, the deal with Chattanooga, that I think most people, if they watch the game, knew it. I, some people that might not follow our league might not have understood it. But, you know, Jake Stevens is a potential NBA player. And he's a fifth-year grad student that's basically seven feet tall that shoots the ball as well as anybody in our league. And he got, he got hurt actually in the game when we, when we won at Chat earlier in the, in the conference play in mid-January. And he's been out since then. Well, then all of a sudden he shows back up for the first round of the tournament on Friday night, and they start rolling. You know, they they, they beat BMI convincingly. Uh, they knock off the number two seed in Sanford, uh, and then the next night they beat Wofford in the semis. And Jake Jake's like just I means averaging like twenty four points a game, and so we knew that we were going to have our problems just with the challenges that they're one of the most efficient three point shooting teams in the country, and then they've got this unique player that can really really shoot it as a seven footer. And so we knew we were going to have to be able to string some possessions together defensively. And, you know, that's what I was most proud of. Like, we held them to 33 points in the first half, which is hard to do with how octane they play. And our defensive, our defensive numbers were actually pretty good considering the possession count. There were 74 possessions in the game, which is a pretty fast game. And um, I actually thought, yeah, we had some really good offense, but our defense did enough for us to be able to play at that margin. Also got to the foul line. You shoot 24 of 30 against them. But looking at your, your roster and the, com- the composite makeup of your team, how important, obviously, I think everybody knows about Jalen Slauson and Mike Bothwell, but how important are guys like, say, an Alex Williams to what you hope to do moving into the NCAA tournament and certainly what your program has done this season? Well, it's been, you know, J.P. Pegues, it was it was almost bizarre that he was left off the off-conference team, you know, selected by the coaches, but – He's only a sophomore. He's our starting point guard. And uh, I think he's averaged like 21 points in the last six games. And he ended up being tournament MVP. And, um, you know, a guy like that as a sophomore, you got Alex Williams as a sophomore that had 12 in the championship. You know, Ben Vanderwall is a freshman for us. Our, our, out of our nine that play, five of them are underclassmen. And I think that's what's really, that's what's really helped this team grow and continue to get better. And why we've won the last 14 to 15 games is because – our youth has just gotten much, much better as they've been able to play more. And so, you know, we scored 38 points in the first half in the championship game, and Mike Bothwell didn't score a single point in the first half. And, you know, if you had told me that before the game, I'd be like, 
you know, well, you know, that's not really what we want to be doing in the championship game, but we had some other guys step up around it. And um, that's why we've been able to, that's why we've been able to do what we did this year. So you got some time now. That's one of the advantages of playing in the conference tournament a little bit earlier. You, you got a little time to rest and think about things and kind of get your feet back on the ground and, and practice. Uh, what are you doing this week? Uh, how are you keeping your guys uh, in shape and focused and ready to go and, and kind of in rhythm? You don't want to lose that rhythm you had going. For real. I mean, for sure. It's one of those deals where, you know, we got this long gap, but we also just played three emotional games in three days. So, you know, we got back yesterday and um, obviously most people stayed up pretty late the night before after we won it. And so we gave them yesterday off, we gave them the day off and we'll get back on the floor tomorrow. And, um, you know, we'll go tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and then we'll take Sunday off for the selection show. Uh, we're doing an event that's public that we're, we're opening the doors at five o'clock and then the selection show will be at six. So we'll have Sunday to enjoy that. And then basically we have a practice plan for if we play Thursday or we have a plan that if we play Friday and um, we won't know till, you know, Sunday night, what, what, what that will look like. But you're right. It's a little bit of a, Hey, we want to rest. We want to make sure we're fresh, uh, but we got to make sure that we also stay sharp. Ever been to Sacramento? I've never been to Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, well, if I was, you worship, I was looking at him. I, if you if you worship at the altar of uh, Joe Lenardi, that's where he's got you going. He's got us going to Sacramento. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, to play Arizona. Yeah, I, to play Arizona. I've seen. I've seen. I've seen one that's got us in Albany. I've seen one that has us playing Marquette. One that has us playing Gonzaga. You know, the best thing about this tournament, I will tell you this, Phil. It's funny now being on the other side of it. It's amazing how many texts I've gotten from people that say, hey, do you know where you're going? Hmm. And it's almost like people assume that we know. I mean, it's just all revealed Sunday. I mean, that selection show is the actual reveal. And nobody knows. My AD was at Villanova, worked with Jay Wright, and, you know, we were all talking about it today. He's like, yeah, I mean, nobody ever knows until they, until they announce. And so we'll find out Sunday when the rest of the world does. Well, it's going to be uh, a fun ride for you. And you know what? Let me correct myself. I, I got you. I was talking to the play-by-play announcer from Asheville. I'm sorry. It's Asheville who they've got going out to Sacramento. You're right. They've got you at Albany to play Gonzaga. Uh, you the 14 okay. and Gonzaga the 3. So you get to see. talk about a great big man. If that happens, if that comes to pass, you'll see a great big man out there. We will. We will. And we know that. Whoever we get, it's going to be a good team. And, um, you know, but – we have a good team, and it's why people watch this tournament. There's there's multiple multiple upsets every day, and um, you know with the way we shoot it, you know, and if we go out there and wing guard and we can match the physicality of the game, you know, I told the team yesterday morning I said there's two ways we can go about this. We can either be in the tournament, or we can go prepare to try to win in the tournament, and and I think there's a, that's a that's a different approach, and um, you know so. We'll uh, we'll get ready for it, and uh, we can't wait to we can't wait to be able to play again. Hey, congratulations once again! Congratulations to all the Paladins, man. It's been a long time. Looking forward to watching you guys, and uh, we'll catch up with you if we can, if you have time for us, maybe next week once you know where you're going, who you're playing, and all that. Uh, as always, we thank you for your time. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Thanks, Phil. thank you, Thanks, sir. Coach. Thank you. All right, Bob Ritchie. So yeah, the last Lenardi update. It's uh, Albany for them. Well, and, and Phil, I love the fact that they actually seeded them, I think, appropriately, if Lenardi's correct. They're not getting a 16 seed. They're a 14. 
yeah. should probably be a, a touch higher, as good as they have been this year. And his uh, this bracketology I'm seeing, his last detailed one was done, I guess, before Charleston won their tournament because he still had them next four out. So mm-hmm. we'll be back after this break. Oh, and you know what? Darren Horn's going back to the tournament, too. How about that? And we'll be back. Parents ask, what's the best way to save for college? I'm State Treasurer Curtis Loftus, and my answer is always open a Future Scholar 529 College Savings Account. It's easy. You can get started online with any amount. It's flexible to adapt to your child's college dreams. And you can deduct 100% of your contributions from the South Carolina state tax return. So what are you waiting for? Go to futurescholar.com and see why it's the smart, easy way to save for college. futurescholar.com South Carolina's largest hunting, fishing, and outdoor expo takes center stage at the Palmetto Sportsman's Classic sponsored by Farm Bureau Insurance. Come on down for a good time with over 350 vendors, dog dogs competition, extreme raptor show, kids catfish pond, and much more family fun. Hope to see you at the Classic March the 24th through the 26th at the South Carolina State Fairgrounds. Hi, this is Major Billy Downer, and coming up tonight at 7.30, it's another edition of SC Wild from the Department of Natural Resources on the Sports Talk Media Network. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. Must go quickly here. A, a quick recruiting update. One player we talked to last night, running back Peyton Lewis out of Salem, Virginia, 6'1", 190. And South Carolina is strongly involved with him. He's going to visit March 17th. And again, with an official visit in May or April, he's got family in South Carolina, so he visits a lot. And he and Monterio Hardesty are building quite a tight relationship to this point in the recruiting process. He's also a standout on the track. Last summer, he won the Class 4 100 meters championship in 10.62, finished second in the 200 meters, so very, very fast. He was at Tennessee last weekend. Uh, They're very much in the hunt for him. He's got Virginia, Virginia Tech, Nebraska, Ohio State, North Carolina all coming up. Also, West Virginia is a possibility. I think South Carolina is going to be in the running for him uh, all the way to the end. Right now, he's got South Carolina, Tennessee, and Penn State as his top three, 1,560 yards and 17 touchdowns last season for Peyton Lewis. Okay, update on baseball. Gamecocks leading at Upstate. It's now 9 to nothing, and I think they've hit a couple more home runs, if I'm not mistaken. So they're up 9 nothing. And quickly to Smitty in Nashville. What's the latest there with the Gamecocks at Ole Miss? Smitty? Well, a rash of turnovers. Uh, both teams playing hard. South Carolina does look engaged. Uh, Hayden Brown really has played well early. He's he's on the bench now with seven points. Gigi Jackson, Michi Johnson, Jacoby Wright, as we thought, giving Ole Miss all sorts of, of fits in terms of 
trying to stay in front of those players, but they're not always making it pay off. And again, too many turnovers for the Gamecocks. A lot of Tennessee fans here, they could do a mullet cam if they wanted to. Gamecocks <laughs> and Ole Miss tight late first half. All right. Yeah, and that score as it's late in the first half is 23-22 Ole Miss. Now on Sports Talk, it's SC Wild with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer is here to take your questions about the great outdoors in South Carolina. Give him a call at 888-898-2525. It's SC Wild from DNR on the Sports Talk Radio Network. All right, well, time to welcome in once again on this Wednesday night another edition of SE Wild from the Department of Natural Resources. Major Billy Downer joining us. Major, good evening. Great to have you with us. How are you? I know what that means. <laughs> That's excellent. Always a pleasure to be with you tonight, no doubt about but yes, that sound means it is getting close to turkey time. You have been so working on ready. your skills. You're 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 getting your A game ready to get out there and uh, nail that that trophy turkey, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sitting here playing with a call right, getting that call ready and a brand new call that I picked up at the. Uh, Southeastern Wildlife Exposition down at Brittle Bank Park. I was talking to a, one of the uh, makers and just messing around with the call. And after I messed with it long enough, I'm like, all right, I got to have that one. Just mm. package it up. So, what makes what um, makes that one what makes that one a desirable call for you? <laughs> just the sound. Um, it's a it's an old slate call, but it's got a great striker and just the, the combination of how the sound uh, how it. Uh, Sharp, the sharpness of that one for me just, I liked it. <laughs> and uh, I've got this, uh, like most of us that do the turkey hunt or duck hunt, we have a sickness when it comes to a call. We can't have enough of it. <laughs> so if, if it's just got one tone that I like, well, I got to have that. So, you know, um, and that's kind of where I, where I am. So I got me another new call I'm playing with. But just made me think about it tonight. We're talking about turkey season, but. Uh, Surely enough, here we are at the end of duck season. We've gone through February, the kind of a dead month. We're into February, I mean, March now. You know, the quail season's kind of coming out, done. We've got your small game seasons to come to a close, and now we're into March looking at our next season, which is turkey season, uh, coming up here, particularly in the game zones three and four in the Columbia area, down to Sumter and on, on up. On the coast in Charleston, Hampton County, and above, you've got the, the Orangeburg County. Everybody's getting ready for turkey season gearing up. Do a little scouting. People paying attention when they're riding up and down the roads. They see a bird in the field or see a flock of birds. They're looking to see that gobbler blown up and just kind of pay attention and, and, and note where they see birds congregating right now and taking mental notes because in a few weeks um, it's going to be time to to hit the woods and, and find them in the tree and, and hope they come to where you are. So uh, it is close to turkey season, yes, for sure. And, um, you know, between now and then we've got the Classic coming up, and I know we're, 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 we're looking forward to that. And the Classic is nothing but turkey calls, it seems like, because <laughs> it's right there where turkey season starts. And that's yeah. all we got is 
up and down the aisles, all you hear is turkey, turkey, turkey. So um, it can be challenging just to walk up and down those aisles. People get tired of hearing the turkey calls. But uh, turkey season certainly is here. Uh, we're excited for it. Um, just a couple things to note. The turkey season this year, you know, everybody wants to know when turkey season is. Um, your private land season starts in game zone one and two, April 1st through May 10th. The game zones one and two are um, different than where we are here in the Midlands. Uh, three and four, which is where we are here in the Midlands, is March 22nd. So that's when the season is going to start for us. That's coming up very quickly. Um, the days will click off. You know, here we are the 8th. We're not, but, what, 14 days away from that. So two weeks away from the season starting uh, starting here uh, in the Midlands. So um, uh, that's just what we're looking at uh, for now. So the excitement builds, but then April 1st is when it starts in the upstate and in game zone 2 uh, portions that, you know, of the PD region. That's when it opens up there. So, um that's kind of where we are as far as the season goes. WMAs, of course, don't open up statewide until April 1st as well, no matter where they are. And that season goes from April 1st to April 29th. Um, you know, the residents statewide, uh, statewide, private, and WMA residents can take three goblets per season. Remember now that your turkey tags actually cost you $5 for the tags, um, a very nominal fee for all of those tags. But you get three tags for $5, pretty cheap. Um, that's changed, you know, in recent years. Uh, but I think most of our sportsmen and women are fully willing to pay that small fee for the turkey tags. It helps us with our turkey management programs and uh, just what we do across the state with turkeys. Um, and we'll probably have uh, my great turkey friend Jay Cantrell on here next show just to kind of get us ready for the season, talk about where our turkey population is right now, get an update on that. Mm-hmm. turkey studies but again three gobblers per season no more than one per day um and remember in that first zone the 22nd to the 31st you can only take one bird in that first portion of the season march 22nd to 31st on private land in game zones three and four um and in game zones one and two they can only take one from april 1st to 10th i don't want to confuse folks so right now the season's going to open up first is the Games on three and four, you can only take one bird uh, March 22nd to 31st. And a lot of people want to know, you know, why is that? Why is it we can only take one bird in the first week of the season uh, pretty much? Um, and that comes back and goes back to the study that Jay has talked to us about on the show before, and I'll get him to talk about that the next time we, we talk again just to remind folks. But the study showed that most, you know, most gobblers, are doing their, their breeding right in that first part of the season. So they're trying to give gobblers the chance um, to spread those genetics through the flock um, and so that our flocks can continue to grow and have good, strong genetics. Um, that's just where they are. I wanted to wait the whole one bird that first week to make sure the birds have a chance to breed. Because, again, we're hoping that most birds, that the most of the hens, um, will get bred early. Uh, before gobblers have a chance to be taken. So you've got that gene pool continually uh, getting stronger each and every year. Uh, so that's where we are uh, as far as that. And, and why the one bird first week is just kind of slow things down and give birds a chance to breed before uh, they have a chance to be taken again. So one bird during that first, the 22nd 
through the 31st here in Game Zones 3 and 4. So we're going to have the expert on with us, like you mentioned, in a couple of weeks to talk more about the population. But from what you're, what you're getting right now, how does it look around the state? Does the, does the I want to say crop, that's probably not the proper word, the flocks. The flocks <laughs> do the flocks look, look greater than they were this same time last year, to the best of your knowledge? So around locally, I think a lot of people seen last year, I talked to a lot of people, uh, that thought turkey season was a little slow last year. Mm-hmm. Some people, if some people inevitably always have a good season. Oh, it's been a great year. Well, I don't mean the whole state's been great. Um, last year's a little slower. Um, I've seen a lot of birds this year uh, where I did not see as much last year. And, you know, there's so many factors go into that. Dry season, wet seasons, um, you know, it, it was the hatch good? Did they have a good um, – were they – were they able to um, you know, raise the clutch, the predation, all those things that go into that coyote, other things uh, that, you know, that may affect young turkey poults. Um, but some simple things that people forget are timber management. People cutting timber down, um, changing the landscape. That can change turkeys. That happened to me. Uh, where I hunt uh, here, one a big portion of where the birds roosted got cut down. <laughs> they can't roost because they're creeks to roost in. They're going to find somewhere else to roost. Um, so that's just one of those things you kind of got to um, you got to look at all the factors that happen. You know, was you know did did the areas they roost or the areas that they like to loaf was there timber? Did it get timbered? Mm-hmm. Um, did fields not get planted? Perhaps you know in wheat where they might normally like to go bug. All those kind of things go on. You know, turkeys utilize areas for different reasons. Uh, They utilize areas for bugging. They go get bugs. They utilize areas to get grain, perhaps. People have planted food plots and left them there. You know, that's legal. You ask that question all the time. You know, well, can I plant chufa for turkeys? Absolutely, you can. Chufa's a nut that grows in the ground. And the turkeys can expose it themselves. But if you go disc it and turn it up, you're baiting. You can't do that. You can't add food stuff to the ground, and you can't manipulate the crop for turkeys. You can leave stuff standing for them, and they can utilize it on their own. It's kind of like waterfowl. You, you can't do anything to the crop. You grow it. You got to leave it there. Um, now, you can't grow corn during turkey season, as in throw the corn out for it to grow, and then, well, I've planted that corn. Well, that's not going to work. Um, that's not how you plant corn. Uh, you know, you plant it in rows, it goes in the ground at least, you know, a good inch and a half. So um, throw it on top of the ground, it's not going to work. I was trying to plant a cover crop. Well, you can't hunt turkeys over a cover crop either. Hmm. Um, so as far as, well, I say cover crop, when you throw a weed out, for instance, and say, quote, unquote, oh, it's just throwing out some wheat to stabilize the ground. Okay, that's great, but you can't hunt turkeys over if you do that. Um, people find all sorts of ways to try to fool their way around being able to feed birds. I've even heard of people that took um, crickets and dumped crickets out <laughs> in an area to attract birds in. I'm not sure how that worked out, but anyway. Um, all sorts of ways. But again, there's so many factors for birds and what makes them move from one area to the other and maybe not use it like they did last year. So I encourage folks to always think about that before you go, hey, we had bad hats last year. Not necessarily things happen to you. Um, but 
you know, remember, as far as between now and the next couple of weeks, we do have a, a youth day coming up as well. Uh, youth day is this year, March 25th and 26th. Um, and uh, that is uh, open for youth on private and WMA land. WMA land on the 25th. Um, and game zones three and four is our youth day down here. Um, and that is, you know, again, going to allow – young people a chance to go um, and perhaps get a bird right there when the season starts off. I'm sorry, March 18th, 19th. My bad. I'm getting my dates mixed up. The 18th, 19th is down here. The 25th, 26th is in games of one and two. So, so basically a Saturday and Sunday before the season opens up in our area will be youth day. So Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th. Uh, speaking of, of youth and young hunters, and I'm just wondering why you're talking about that. You know, uh, when you take a youngster out, male, female, whatever the case may be, and you take them out hunting for the first time and uh, you're hunting turkey or you're hunting deer, I mean, which do you think kind of sticks with them more, getting their first deer or getting their first turkey? Uh, is one a little more special than the other when it comes to breaking in the young hunters and taking them around the state of South Carolina and in the fields and looking for that game? So uh, that's a great question. And it brings into, uh, into, it brings into the discussion, a lot of factors. Again, it's a deer. Deer is great because you can get in an elevated position. You can hide in a blind or a tree stand and kids can kind of sit still. They don't have to sit as still and get in this blind. There's camouflage around. They can kind of move, you know, stretch. Heck, they can play a game on the phone until a TV comes like a TV until uh, the, the deer walk out. Mm-hmm. And you know, deer particularly, you can walk out 80, 100 yards, and you can make a shot. Sometimes deer may not see you, notice it from that far off, um, even though they have tremendous sight. Turkey hunting, on the other hand, you're ground level. You're on the ground, typically up against a tree. Maybe some bushes in front of you. Maybe you might be in a blind. And a lot of people have learned to use blinds for turkey hunting, for kids particularly, because you can move inside the blind. And for whatever reason, a ground blind does not disturb a turkey like it would a deer. If you pop a ground blind up, a deer's going to walk out the woods and blow at it immediately. A turkey will walk right by it. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> um, people that do it can tell you about it. For whatever reason, it flips a switch in their head, and they cannot. It just doesn't spook them. It's like they don't even know it's there. They'll walk right around it and don't even think about it. And it wasn't mm-hmm. there yesterday. Um, so it's one of those things with turkeys. But the thing about turkeys to me that attracts a young person is the calling and the response. There's nothing like sitting there on the ground and hearing a gobbler sound off behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, for my son, one of the first times we went turkey hunting, uh, a friend of mine and folks that are listening will laugh, but Toy McCord took my my son a turkey hunting one time over in the Hope area, and he will never forget that hunting trip because we sat down under a tree, and Toy called, and the gobbler sounded off right above us. I mean, right above us. Mm. So... Uh, it was a, it was loud. It echoed. It was right. Literally, we were leaning against the tree the bird was in. The bird came down to the ground, walked up to the limb that we were sitting behind, and peeked over at us. 
<laughs> it's just one of those experiences you'll never forget. But he was facing the wrong way, so he couldn't make the shot. And then the bird walked off. Um, but um, <laughs> it was a, it, it was just a story you, you never forget. But for turkey hunting, to me, with young people, it's that call. It's the, just the, the, the colors of the bird when they strut, they come in. It can be a tremendous story, and it can also be one where they're sitting in that you're nothing. You sit out there and take a young person, and you call, and you hear nothing. And you call, and you hear nothing. Um, so that can be a boring hunt. But just as quick as it's boring, it can turn to exciting when a bird gobbles one time uh, or two times. And if that bird hits the ground and comes out in the field and comes running over, strutting to a decoy, there is nothing more exciting than a turkey full, running in full tilt, stopping and blowing up. <laughs> and when you can see every feather on his body just extend out, and he sucks that air in his mouth, and he drums. And as he drums, he pokes his chest out further, drops those feathers, the, the wings down, and scratches the ground, and he just kind of makes a and he spits. It's not like he's spitting, but he's just he's breathing the air in, and he's extending all those feathers out real quick. And he's drumming, they call it drumming. And it's just, um, and when you can hear that, it is something you can't, as an adult, you can't forget it. So as a child, it's tremendous. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot to that. That's a great question, really. Yeah. And I think most kids on the ground, the turkey hunting is hard to sit still sometimes. So that brings up the point about the blind. If you can take a child in the blind, they can move around. It doesn't spook the birds near as bad as they can move. But when a bird gets close, the one thing about turkey hunting is it doesn't matter what you're doing, what you're in, their eyesight, they can see color. They can see things that most animals can't, and they've got tremendous sight. If they could smell, we'd never kill one. You'd never take one. <laughs> they don't smell? I mean, if they could smell. They, they don't, don't have smell. that ability? Birds don't. Birds do not use their sense of smell. The only bird that I'm aware of that really has a sense of smell is a um, a buzzard. Ah. Because uh, they're huh. the only ones that have that sense of, that can actually use the sense of smell. Most birds do not use that sense. Of, they, they don't have it. So that's why you can use a thermocell. You can spray mosquito. You can spray repel all over you. Whatever. Off. Whatever you want. Don't matter how bad you smell, turkey's not going to smell you. <laughs> but he will see you if you move and blink one eye. He'll see you. Hey, uh, uh, just, Major. Yeah, great. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We want to jump to the line because we have somebody who wants to reach out to you real quick. Triple eight eight nine eight two five two five. SC Wild from DNR with Major Billy Downer, and you're on the air with the Major. Go right ahead, please. It's uh, Jim. Jim and where? Goose Creek. Yeah, Jim down in Goose Creek. Jim, welcome in. How are you? Real fine. Nice talking to you, Phil and, and Major. It's an honor to speak with you. I got a question for you, sir. About Go ahead. I guess two shows ago you had a gentleman on with you and you guys were discussing trial uh trying out dogs for retrieving in the water and stuff and you were discussing right. them going a hundred, a hundred, hundred and fifty yards out. Well my question is what kind, if any, measures can you take to uh protect your dog from the alligators getting them when they're doing that? Hey. Okay, <laughs> so thanks for the call. That's a great question. I'm not sure I'm going to have a tremendous answer for that. Um, 
the best answer I can give you is knowing the area you're hunting, number one, um, and the time of year is everything. So when it's real cold, if you're from the coast, things slow down, you're pr- probably pretty safe with a dog out there. Particularly when, when it comes to a water retrieve with a dog is when they are vulnerable in that water. And that's when alligators are going to strike if they're going to in the water. Not as much necessarily at shore, but when that head's in the water and that's also exposed, um, they're attracted to that. And I've had that happen many times training dogs in the summertime. Um, and uh, the, there's no way to protect a dog during a hunt if they're on a long retrieve for a duck, particularly in a salt marsh, even when it's when it's warmer. Um, and those days are warm because I've been in December hunting ducks and mosquitoes eating me alive and mosquitoes eating me alive. That means gators are out. Um, so you just got to know your area. Um, hopefully, and, and one of the things that, you know we, we talk about is prevention with alligators is, the best way to prevent an alligator problem in the winter is to handle it during the summer um, using the uh, land private lands tags that we do have that are out there to manage gators on property like that to remove gators so they're not problems when it comes to sporting in the future. Uh, the problem is there's so many gators, you're never going to get rid of every one of them. So knowing the area, cold weather, when it's a warm day, don't take the dog. That's my best advice. Hunting on the coast, inland, where we're out of Lake Marion, we don't have any problems with alligators during the wintertime. But on the coast, tremendous problems. You hunt these impoundments um, or the coastal waters. When it gets warm, gators come out. You just can't use a dog on, on those days. you got to wait the colder days to walk your dog, and that's probably the best advice I can give. Hmm. And the only advice other than managing gators during um the off season, when I say off season, I mean off season of, of waterfowl season and using those private lands tags um, uh, to manage populations or nuisance gators. Okay, well, thank but you very much, Phil. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jim, thank you very yes, much. Sir. Great question. Uh, Major, got about 90 seconds left with you, uh, and we'll, uh, of course, be with you at the Classic uh, com- coming up later on this month, but give us a quick preview of what to expect at the Sportsman's Classic later on this month at the fairgrounds. The preview is probably going to be more of this. <laughs> you're, going hear, you're going to hear a lot of that. Um, no, be some great, there's always great vendors there, fishing vendors, turkey calls, uh, new turkey decoys. You've got nickel store there. Um, you've got Traeger grills there. Um, the, the bass tanks there. A lot of fun things to come see, as always, all the new stuff out. But remember, turkey season right around the corner. The 18th and 19th here in Game Zones 3 and 4 is our youth day. Uh, One bird only. Great being with you. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you at the Sportsman's Classic, and uh, we'll do an extended version of uh, SC Wild with you, and we'll talk to you between now and then. Sounds good, Phil. Thanks. Thank you, Major. Major Billy Downer, Department of Natural Resources here in the state of South Carolina. Another edition of S.C. Wild Talking Turkey, as he loves to do. Man, you can tell he loves turkey hunting and loves talking about it. And we'll talk more about it at the Sportsman Classic coming up in a in a couple of weeks. Look forward to that. All right, let me update a couple of things before we say goodbye from Greensboro. Smitty's already signed off from Nashville and at the half 
It's a 40, make that a 30-29, to 30-29 Ole Miss lead over the Gamecocks. Uh, Gamecocks shot 41%, Ole Miss shot 39% in the first half. Both teams with four three-pointers, not much action at the foul line on either either side. 15 turnovers between the two of them, pretty even there. And for South Carolina, it's Hayden Brown's got nine points. And Gigi Jackson's got eight points to lead the Gamecocks in scoring. And for Ole Miss, it's Amari Abram leading the way with eight. Uh, here in Greensboro at the half, uh, North Carolina big over Boston College, 43-29. So the Tar Heels in good shape to uh, move forward. Uh, you know, it's a good night here tonight. North Carolina and NC State uh, playing. Wake Forest has already won. You know, in Greensboro, it's always extra special when the uh, Tobacco Road teams are winning, and uh, that's what they're doing so far. We'll see if that continues. And up in Greenville, South Carolina, just pounding away against Upstate 13-1. The Gamecocks on top there in the top of the fourth. That'll do it from here in Greensboro. Back here tomorrow night. Have a great one, and we'll see you tomorrow.